Today is Bible Q&A. You guys know, for those of you who have been here a while, we, we try to do this every three months. Um, and I told you guys last week, you can ask me any questions you know, about me and my family, about the church, about the Bible, about what you guys are going through in life and how to apply scripture to that, how to apply wisdom to those life situations. And, um, and I'm thankful that I got, I got pretty much all those categories. So I was looking back in my notes, I think, I think my record of questions, um, not because I take a, a while to answer, it's because your questions are very complicated. <laughs> um, I think eight, the most I've answered in the past is eight, so hopefully we'll, get, we'll break that record this morning, okay? Okay, um, here's the first question. Besides the Bible, what is your favorite book? Okay, I get, I get asked this a lot, and it's, it's a really hard question to answer. Uh, to be honest, I can't, I can't just give you one book. Okay, it, w- it, w- it wouldn't be fair for the other books if I, <laughs> if I just gave you one book. Um, so I'll, I'll give you three. Even three is hard for me to, you know, to rank. So I'll give you three books. And the reason why... I, the reason why these are my most favorite books outside of the Bible is because of um, their initial impact in my life when I first read them, and then the ongoing impact in my life as I think about them. I think about these books all the time, and, um, and I, even, I even try to read them uh, every couple of years. So some of these books I've read multiple times, okay? So the first one is, uh, the title is, Spiritual mindedness, okay. Spiritual mindedness, um, and that's that's been very impactful because I uh, I'm not so spiritually minded, right? I think about yeah, I can use that, James. I think about the world too much. I think about material things too much. Hello. So. So that book has been really helpful. Spiritual Mindedness by John Owen. And that, that's like way back, 1860s, when he wrote it. But it's been rewritten. And, you know, so it's, they have versions that are, that are um, easier to read. So Spiritual Mindedness would be the number one. Uh, second, I like, I like biographies. Every year I try to read one biography of a, a, a reformer. You know, so it'd be like 1500s. Around that time, you know, like a, a pastor or, or, or someone who uh, really fought for the faith back then. Um, and then also a biography of a missionary. So that's kind of, you know, I, I try to make a reading list every year. So I always want to make sure I have two biographies at least, a missionary or a reformer. Uh, so my second favorite book is, uh, is called Prepared to Stand Alone. That's the title. Okay. And it's, a, it's the biography of of J.C. Ryle, okay, and J.C. Ryle lived around 1800s, and he died in 1900, exactly 1900, um, and you guys have heard me refer to him a lot of times, uh, we even named our fifth child Ryle, I'm a big fan of J.C. Ryle, and that, that biography of, of J.C. Ryle is just amazing, phenomenal, and if you like sports, he played the um, Man, what did he play? Uh, he played, and he was really good at it. He went to Oxford and played for the college. Um, what's that? No, not soccer. A little more like English 
Cricket. No, not cricket. No, not rugby. It's kind of like cricket. No, I think cricket. Maybe. He did, he did, yeah, he was like the captain of his team, right? He, in every, everything that he did, he excelled in. And then God saved him. He was reading Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And, and he, he was saved just reading the Bible. And then it changed his life. Changed his life. And then he, uh, he left law. You know, he wanted to be a lawyer. He left that, like, like his dad. And he became a, a pastor. And then he, he pastored for a long time. And then he wanted to really impact the young people. So he, become a de- he became a dean of, 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 of Oxford. And um, just, yeah, that would be my second book. My third book um, would be, uh, the title is Slave. Okay, this is by someone who's still alive. Uh, John MacArthur is the author. Uh, that book came out when I think I just got saved, I think, when the book Slave came out. And pretty much he looked at the word slave in the New Testament every time it's used. But in a lot of English translations, we lose that word slave because we translate the word as what? What do you guys think? Bond servant, which is okay, right? As long as you know that, it, that the word originally meant slave. So when Paul would write to, to Timothy, when Paul would write to a church, he would say, Paul, a bond servant, or Paul, a slave of who? Christ. Christ. And that, that book changed my life. Because, um, you know, when, especially when I, was, when I was in college, college age when I first when, when I just got saved I was very uh, I was entitled you know I had self-entitlement I was discontent I thought that I was you know I was the coolest and the greatest and everybody should bow down to me and I should have everything right if I put my mind into it you know just believe in yourself and I, I should be able to get everything that I wanted and then I read that book and I said okay I'm a slave of Christ he saved me that should be enough for me Right for my sins to be forgiven should be enough. Why? Why am I? Why am I clamoring and and coveting all kinds of things? I'm a slave of Christ. Right, a slave has no right. No right. Um, so I, that's that would be my third book. So spiritual mindedness. Okay, John Owen. Um, Prepared to start stand alone by Ian Murray, the biography of J.C. Ryle, and then third, Slave by John MacArthur. Second question, are gifts of prophecy still around today? If not, why? Okay, uh, let me uh, try to simplify this for, for you and for me. The, the, spirit, the, the gift of prophecy is also called a spiritual gift, okay? According to the Bible, the spiritual gift of prophecy. And it's mentioned in two places, mainly, mainly in two places in the New Testament. You have 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Okay, you have four passages where spiritual gifts are mentioned. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Okay, but when it comes to prophecy, it's only in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Now, here's how I explain prophecy uh, in, a, in a very brief, simple way. You, you, can see it in, you can see it in two ways, okay? One is forth-telling. Okay, F-O-R-T-H, right? Forth telling. So forth telling is to receive a revelation or a word from God. 
that God is asking you to write down or to proclaim to his people. That's, that's one aspect of prophecy, foretelling. Okay? Um, the second aspect of prophecy is foretelling. Okay? F-O-R-E. What's the difference? Fourth and four. Yes? So, foretelling is uh, saying, like what she said, the foretelling is saying uh, what's going to happen. What's going to happen. So, it's more, it has more of a pre- pre- predicting flavor to it. So, it's to predict when, where, and how the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. That's foretelling. So, when you, when you look at prophecy, the gift of prophecy in the Bible, that's, they, they pretty much... They, you can pretty much categorize them in, in either one, foretelling or foretelling. Okay, in the Old, in the Old Testament, you had prophets like Moses, uh, Abraham, Joshua, right? They, they foretell, they, for, they, they foretold and foretold. In the New Testament, you have Jesus. He is called the prophecy, uh, the prophet of all prophets, Silas. We looked at Silas when we were going through the end of 1 Peter chapter 5. And Agabus also in Acts, Acts 21 was called a, a prophet. Um, now you need to, so, so that's prophecy, right? That's, that's the gift. That's what, that's what you would do if you were a prophet. Now, the second thing you need to know is, is what was the purpose of prophets, of prophecy, of foretelling and foretelling. Well, it was really to um, uh, attest or prove the message of of the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament that, that the gospel now saves both Jews and Gentiles and this new entity in the New Testament called church com- is comprised of both people groups, the Jew and the Gentile. So for the longest time, you know, for centuries, the Jews didn't, you know, the Jews just thought that it was, it was them, right? In the Old Testament, it was just them, God's chosen people. And then now in the New Testament, Jesus comes, you know, breaks the barrier between the two people groups. And now both Jews and Gentiles can be saved in the same way through the gospel and be, be one group together in one entity called the church. That, that would have blown their mind away that how, how is this? How is this possible? Is this really God's plan? Is this really part of his, his bigger redemptive plan? And the apostles and the prophets were able to prophesy to prove that it is part of God's plan. Okay? Now, the, th- the question here, is the gift of prophecy still around? I would say no. I would say no. Because it was for the prophets and the apostles, and it was the purpose, you know, for the beginning of the church. And then thirdly, because the Bible says so. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, you know, when you, go to, um, when you go to your school chapel and the speaker says, oh, yeah, I have a prophecy from the Lord. Or you have Thanksgiving with your friends and your, cousin, or your aunt, you know, aunt Donna says, oh, yeah, we found a new church, you know. Uh, we have a prophet, you know, who teaches every Sunday. Um, if they ask you, right, then you take him to... Scripture. So, First Corinthians, chapter. What did I say? Thirteen. Okay. Thirteen. Look down. Look down at verse eight. Okay. Paul just got talk, Just got done talking about um, spiritual gifts. Now he 
he zooms in 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 uh, specific spiritual gifts here in verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, there you go, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will, it will be done away. So those are the sign gifts, okay? Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. So, so Paul's saying they, they will stop. Now the question is, when? when, right? So we know, it, we know that they will stop. They are going to stop. Now the question is when? Well, go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us when they stop. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets. So he's talking about the Old Testament time. God did speak long ago in the Old Testament through the fathers. All right, Abraham, all those guys. Moses in the prophets. In many portions and in many ways. But in these last days, he's talking about the New Testament time, the church age. God has spoken to us in his son. Who is son there? Capital S. Jesus Christ. Right? In his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So I believe we, I think, I think, you know, I think most people will believe that the prophecy will stop. Um, but the majority of them disagree when. I think this is pretty clear that, that they will stop when Jesus Christ came to speak. And when Jesus left and the apostles finished the, uh, the revelation of God, the New Testament, I believe that, that's, that there's no longer use for prophecy, for foretelling and foretelling. Why? Because we have everything right here. Right? We have everything right here. So, good, good question. Number three. How can I encourage a sister in Christ while guarding our hearts so there's no assumption of ro- romantic intentions? Hmm. Let me repeat that. How can I encourage a sister in Christ? So, these two are professing Christians. And, and it says, while guarding our hearts so there's no assumption of romantic intentions. So, this is a young guy to a young lady. Okay, how can I encourage a young lady? Um, Do you guys know a passage in the Bible that talks about how you treat a young lady? And it says it. This is how you treat a young lady. Yes. Wasn't there something in 1 Timothy? Good, good. You're in the right you're in the right book. You young man, this is your life verse. Okay, this is how you treat a young lady. Okay, First Timothy chapter five. First Timothy chapter five, verse one. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. So remember, this is Paul, you know, an older pastor writing to Timothy, a younger pastor, a young man. So he's telling him, hey, Timothy, you know, there are going to be older men in your church, but don't rebuke them. Make sure that you appeal to them as a father. Timothy, young Timothy, young man, this is how you treat younger men. 
as brothers, so with respect. The older women, Timothy, you treat them, you appeal to them, you talk to them as mothers, so you honor them, right? And look at the last section. And to the younger women as sisters. What else does, what else does he say? In all what? Purity. So purity externally and purity internally. So here's how I would apply this because I, you know, I, I need to answer this question because I, I, I do want to encourage uh, the opposite gender, but I do, I do want to make sure that I am pure inside and outside. Okay, so this question actually applies to me also. So so uh, for me, I ask these questions, okay? Just listen to these questions that I ask to, to, to determine if, if I should encourage this sister in Christ or, or not, you know, it's not necessary. So here's the first question I ask myself. Do I have any ulterior or um, hidden motives in talking to her? Do I really, really want to encourage or do I have other motives? Right, that will affect if I should encourage or not. Here's the second question I ask. What is she going through that she needs to be encouraged in? You know, because sometimes it's like, oh, you know, that, that's not really for me. You know, that's, that's better dealt with with, a, with with somebody else. Right? I need to know what she needs to be encouraged in. Third question, would she find it more encouraging if another girl talked to her? And most of the time, Yeah. Yeah, so if I choose not to encourage that sister in Christ, am I sinning? No. I'm fine. I'm fine not to. If I know that the situation demands, you know, a, a sister in Christ who would do a better job. Fourth question I ask myself, would I be tempted to impure thoughts because of 1 Timothy chapter 5, right? With younger women as sisters in all purity. So, Here's the question. Would I be tempted to impure thoughts if I chose to talk to her? If I think that I would be tempted, I won't, I won't do it. Will I sin? No. You know, am I sinning? No. Well, but, but she needs encouragement. So the Lord can use another person to encourage her. It doesn't have to be me. Right? Fifth question. Will this make others assume wrong things about us? Okay, because sometimes young ladies um, thrive in feeding their emotions. So the more encouragements they get, the, the better they feel, which, which, uh, which is fine. But sometimes they, they would rather hear it from a young guy. And then the young guy feels like, oh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an encourager. So, so the young guy keeps going, right? Uh, but there's n- they're not so wise about it. So now other people are starting to assume wrong things. Is it wrong for them to assume wrong things? Yes. But you're not helping them by your behavior also. So just a lot of wisdom there. Okay. Sounds good. Fourth question. What are some practical ways to realize that you're being discontent? Great question. Practical ways to find out that you are being discontent. Well, first of all, you need to make sure that you know what biblical contentment is. Okay? 
You need to know what biblical contentment is, what the Bible says about contentment. And when we went through Philippians and, um, and Psalm 73, I gave you guys this definition of contentment. Okay? And I told you guys that it is a mindset. It starts right here. What you think about, what you don't think about. Okay? Contentment and discontentment both start in the mind. So contentment is a mindset that joyfully and humbly submits to God's wise and perfect plan for your life. That's contentment. If you can humbly and joyfully submit to God's perfect and wise plan for your life, then you're content. It doesn't, it, contentment is not really based on your circumstance. It's based on your mindset. If you are saying, okay, I can, this is God's perfect and wise plan for my life, and it happens to be unfolding this way, but I choose to humble myself and I choose to be joyful, regardless of the circumstance, you are being what? Content. So now you know what discontentment is. Discontentment would be the opposite, right? A discontent mind would say, this is not really wise plan from God. This is not really a perfect plan from God. So I have the right. I have the right to not be joyful and I have the right to be self-entitled. That's a discontent mind, a discontent person. So you, students, you need to know what the Bible says about discontentment and contentment. Okay, it, it's a mindset. It has nothing to do with your circumstance. That's why Paul in, in, in Philippians 2 says, yeah, when I'm rich, I can be content. When I'm poor, I can be content. I've learned the secret to being content. And he says it's Jesus Christ. Right? It has nothing to do with, with your circumstance. It's a mindset. If you believe that whatever circumstance you're in, it's God's perfect and God's wise plan for your life and he, He's just unfolding it and letting you experience it. If you believe that, then you can be joyful. Then you can be humble. You can be content. Okay? So, the question says, practical ways to realize that you're being discontent. Okay, I, I, have, I have this saying in my mind that I've shared with others. Okay? Personally, I know when I'm being discontent when I see any of these three things in my mind. Okay? Number one, if I'm starting to compare myself. Okay, what I'm comparing, right? I go to church, and then I, you know, that, that dad who just got a raise, right? He's pulling up in his Ford, let's say, uh, well, you guys are, the, the, the young men here are, are, are a fan of, uh, uh, what's the new Dodge Ram? TRX? Yeah, TRX, you know, because the Raptor is no more. TRX is, is the thing, right? So that pulls up, right? Dot, uh, Ram TRX. If I start comparing, you know, my van, right? That's not good. There's a sign of discontentment, right? So, so it starts with comparing, and then it starts, and then it moves to complaining. Okay, you compare, and then you complain. Ah, you know, I work harder than those people, and look what I have, right? Um, I study a lot harder than those friends and um, look at the grade that I get, right? I obey my parents a lot more than my other sibling and look at my birthday party, right? Um, I, 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 
I knew that I needed to work and um, you know I got a job here and then those guys have a job there and uh, it's better there right so when you start comparing and you don't put that off you'll begin to complain and then here's what happens next you start to covet so just three simple C's right you you compare you complain and then you covet coveting is uh, coveting is worse than than jealousy jealousy is oh I wish I had that I wish I had that truck coveting is oh I, I really want that truck and it irks me and and it it you know, I just don't like it that I see this person driving that truck and it's not me. Not only do you want it, you, you, ac- you actually don't want the guy to have it. That's coveting. Okay? So when I see those three things, any of those three things, sometimes, you know, it's really bad, all those three things, then I know that I am being discontent. Okay? Let me give you a bonus answer. Because this is the important answer, right? How, how, do you, how do you get rid of discontentment, right? You need to know what it is. You need to know the signs. But how do you put it off? Here's how I put it off. Just two simple ways. Prayerfulness and thankfulness. If I want something, can I pray for it? Yeah, I should pray for it, right? If the Lord gives it to me, I need to be thankful. If the Lord doesn't give it to me, it's His wise and perfect plan unfolding and I need to be thankful. Okay, sometimes, sometimes when we're so discontent, it's because we haven't been prayerful and thankful. So that's how you combat discontentment. Prayerfulness and thankfulness daily, all the time. You're always praying. You're always thanking God. If that's your attitude, your daily attitude, a prayerful person, a very thankful person, man, you, you, you're going you're gonna to be able to put off and prevent, not just put off, prevent any discontentment. Number five, I need wisdom on what to say and how to go about a friendship with my neighbor who is now a lesbian. Okay, how do you go about with your relationship or friendship or just being a nice neighbor to to someone who is now a homosexual okay lesbian gay um all those things well here's the thing we know that homosexuals gays lesbians even alcoholic drug addicts smokers all those people we know that all those people also need the what the gospel just like who? You and me. Right? They're no, they're no better, they're no worse. We're no better, we're no worse. Right? We all need the gospel, we're all sinners. So your mind has to go there. When it comes to, should I pursue a friendship? Should I pursue a nice neighbor relationship with this person? Well, your, your mind needs to go to that first. Okay, this person needs the gospel. And I could be the instrument that God can use to... Share the gospel with this person. Okay? But for me personally, okay, personally, um, I only interact with those people. Again, my goal is the gospel, right? And I'm thinking, could it be me that's the instrument, right? So my interaction would be about the gospel. So, so I only interact with, with those people when I have what I call 
home turf advantage. Okay, I want you to think about this, okay? If I have home turf advantage, I, I go all out. I don't care. Gay, lesbian, smoker, right? Alcoholic. If I have home, home court or home turf advantage, then, then I'll, I'll interact with them. It, here's what I mean by home, home court advantage. If they come to me, I'll talk to them, right? If they come to our church, I'll welcome them. If, um, if it's a neighbor... I'll talk to them, right? I'll make sure that when they pick up the mail is when I pick up the mail so I can talk to them, right? When they're washing their car, I'll go out there and talk to them, okay? So, so that's what I mean by, by home, home court advantage. If it's a relative who comes to a family event, I'd want to meet them and befriend them and talk, and talk to them. I mean, it's Thanksgiving dinner. They're here, right? Um, I'll, I'll be friendly and I'll do my best to give them the gospel. Now, if I don't have home court advantage, then I probably won't pursue the interaction. Here's, what, here's what, what that looks like. If they invite me to the places they go to, you know, to practice their sin, if they invite me to their wedding, if they invite me to the bar or the concerts that they go to on weekends, right? I won't go. But why? Why won't you go? It's for the gospel. Well, I won't go because it's not, I don't have home, home court advantage. You know, when I am in their home court, then I have disadvantages. Because they're doing their sin. You know, there's no more shame when they do their sin in those contexts. So, so it's going to be really hard for me to be, to be interactive with the purpose of the gospel. So that's, that's where I draw the line. And... Um, and I just pray that, that the Lord would give me another opportunity that's, that has the, the advantages that I want. Does that make sense? If it's a neighbor uh, and you guys were friends before and now she's saying that, the, that she's a lesbian, you know, talk to your parents about it. If they're okay with it, be friends. But the purpose is for the gospel. Right? But if she starts inviting you to things, no, I can't. Sorry. But you can come to my things, right? So that's how I would personally um, navigate that. Number six, which apostle has moved you the most or have you learned the most from? Can you guys guess? Paul. Yeah, the apostle Paul. I mean, yeah, he, you know, he wrote like 13 of the 27 books in, in the New Testament. But that's, that's not really why. Uh, I would choose the Apostle Paul because one of the greatest lessons I've learned in the Bible, I've, I learned from the Apostle Paul. And if you guys are asking, what's that lesson? Here's the lesson. To never get over the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins. That lesson. One of the greatest lessons I've learned from the Bible, and I learned that from Paul. To never get over the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins. That I, am now, that I am now a child of God, that my sins, past, present, and future, all of them have been forgiven, that I will never go to hell, that nothing can separate me from the love of God, to never get over that. Here's where I found that. Here's, our, here's where I learned that from Paul. Okay, go. Well, um, I'll just read them to you. Okay, so Paul got saved uh, in Acts 9, around 34, 34 A.D., 
Okay, so long, long, long time, time ago. I mean, this is 2022. So 2,000 years ago, 34 AD, 0034, that, that was the year in Acts 9. That's when Paul got saved, okay? 20 years later, so 34, 44, 54 AD, he writes the letter of 1 Corinthians, okay? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says in verse 9, I am the least of the apostles, so, you know, we know that he wasn't a part of the 12 apostles who walked with Jesus, who were disciples of Jesus, right? But he was apostles of, of Jesus in, in another aspect, right? Other, other people who followed Jesus. So he, we don't know how many, 100, we don't know. But he said, out of all of those people, let's just say 150, out of all of those 150 apostles of Jesus Christ, I'm the least. I'm 150. He'd been saved for 20 years. Okay, fast forward eight years later in 62 AD, he writes the letter of Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says this. I am the very least of all the saints. So did, did, he, uh, did he get a promotion or a, a demotion? He demoted himself, right? Yeah, you know. A while ago, I would say, I w- you know, out of 150 apostles, I was probably number 150, you know, so humble. But the more he walked with the Lord, the more he, he was a Christian, he, he started saying, yeah, I'm actually the very least of all the saints. And if you're, if you're wondering what a saint is, it's a Christian. So all of the Christians, okay, maybe that he knew or maybe Christians in the whole world, he would say, I, I'm the very least. I'm the last person. Okay, and then he kept walking with the Lord, you know, continued his Christian life. Three, year, three years later, he writes his last letter, right? Second Timothy before he, before he would die. And say, uh, actually, first Timothy, so second to the last. First Timothy chapter one, verse 15, he says this. I am the foremost. Okay, number one. I am ranked number one. Okay. Of all what? Sinners. He was a Christian for about 30-something years. So that lesson for me, and I just got that from reading the Bible. You know, I noticed that he said, I'm, I'm the very least. And then I noticed that he said, I am the least. And then in First Timothy, he said, I am foremost. I'm like, okay, is he going to finally say that he's up here? And he even went lower he says, I'm the foremost of all sinners. And if, and if you track the timeline of those letters when it was written, I figured it out. He was saved, Acts 9, right? 20 years later, he writes 1 Corinthians. And then, three, and then eight, eight years later, he writes Ephesians. And then three years later, before he would die, he writes, he writes 1 Timothy. And the, the, the more mature he became in his faith as a Christian, the more humble he was. Why? Because he never got over the fact that Jesus Christ died for his sins. What a lesson. Right? What a lesson. That's why when, when uh, a young man asked me for discipleship, you know, one of the homeworks that I give is that I say, yes, you know, I, I've been a Christian longer than you. I'm older than you. But I really want you to meet someone who's just a lot older than you. 
a lot wiser than you and just he never gets over the fact that he's a Christian. So I have a couple of older men in mind, so I would tell them, you know, take, take, that, take that older man for coffee. He's retired, so he's flexible. <laughs> and just ask him how he got saved. And, and you would be humbled because he would, he would sound like he just got saved yesterday because of how much, how much he loves the gospel and Jesus Christ. So, I don't know, maybe a slam dunk, number one, most, you know, precious lesson I've ever learned from the Bible. And it, it was through the Apostle Paul. Okay? Number six, which... No, answer that. Seven, how do you handle conflict when the other party is either slow to respond or not interested in reconciling? You guys ever experienced that before, maybe with a friend or with a sibling? Yeah, I have. Okay, when it comes to conflict, okay, a disagreement, argument, whatever you want to call it, right? When it comes to conflict, I have two goals in mind, okay? My goal is to be pleasing to the Lord in how I respond, that's number one. And my second goal is to be the most loving person toward that person. Okay? I want to be pleasing to the Lord how I respond to this awkward, you know, challenging situation. And I want to make sure that at the end of the day that I have loved this person as much as I, I could, regardless of the outcome. Okay? Um, listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Romans 12, verse 18. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Right? Can you control how you respond to this friend? Can you control how you respond to this friend? You can. And your goal is to restore peace. Can you control how, the, how your friend is going to respond back? No. But Paul says, hey, as, 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 as far as it depends on you, make sure you do everything you can to try to restore peace. All right? Listen to John 13, 35. Okay, John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Love one another. Okay? Your neighbor, who's a lesbian... She will know, I had to think about the pronoun. She will know that you are a Christian if you love difficult friends who don't want to reconcile. Your parents will know that you are a Christian if they see you loving difficult friends. Your other friends who may be saying, ah, just forget it, man, forget it. You know, you've done everything. Just move on, right? Or maybe some friends may say, man, yeah, like you really need to get even. Seek revenge, right? Those kinds of friends will know that you are a Christian if you continue to love this person who may not be interested in reconciling. Okay? Be pleasing to the Lord how you respond and be loving toward that other person. How do I achieve those two goals practically? Here's what I do. I ask how I sin against that friend. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes... When there's a conflict, we just assume that it's one-sided. Oh, it's because she sinned against me. Well, maybe. But that friend may be thinking, oh, you know, she sinned against me, right? That, therefore, you guys never talk because you're waiting for the other person to initiate the conversation. 
In a conflict, there's always two sides. And in the conflict, it's always whose fault? Both. Right, according to James, James chapter 3 or 2 or 4. In James, what causes quarrels and strife among you? Isn't, isn't, it, isn't it you? Because you wanted something that you didn't get? Right? So in a conflict, it's always two-sided. In a conflict, it's always both, both at fault. So what do I do? I ask how I sinned against the other person, even though, I don't, even though I may be convinced that I didn't do anything wrong. I still need to ask, how did I sin? Okay, and then she, he tells me, then I seek for forgiveness. I don't excuse it. I don't say, well, you know, that's how you took it. It doesn't matter. That's how he took it. <laughs> that's how he took it. Okay, that's fine. That's how he took it. I, it was an offense to him. I, I shouldn't be excusing and say, well, that's just how you took it. No, I should say, I'm sorry. And I don't say, I'm sorry that you took it that way. I meant it this way. No, I don't say that. I say, I am sorry that that offended you. I should have been this instead. And then I seek for forgiveness. Right? So that's what I do first. Now, if the other person is really not interested, I can't do anything about it. Romans 12 says, okay, I've done everything I can to, to uh, achieve peace. And John 15, right? Uh, John 13, 35. Uh, I've... I've I've done my best to be loving toward this person, but if this person is still not interested, I can't do anything about it. That's between them and the Lord. Okay, it's no longer between us. It's now that person and the Lord. And I just pray and I just keep loving on the person. I don't ignore the person. I treat the person the same way as I treat the other, my other friends. I keep loving on the person. I keep finding ways to be a blessing to that person. Why, why wouldn't I? Because that's how the world will know that I am a Christian. If I love people, especially difficult people. Guys, it's easy to love people who are just like you. Okay? The real test is when you love friends, acquaintances, siblings, family members who are very difficult. And when you get in the conflict, because you will, you're sinners, you'll get in the conflict and they don't want to be reconciled, but you still love them and choose to bless them, that honors the Lord. Okay, don't, don't be petty. Don't be petty. Okay? Because when you get married, guess what, what you're going to do? Handle conflict. When you start having kids, guess what you're going to have to teach them? How to handle conflict. Okay, it's part of life. And it's how the Lord grows us to be more like, like Christ. Number eight, how do you overcome fear of men in the areas of friendships? Okay, when I was your age, I feared, I feared man. Okay, because I wasn't a Christian when I was your age. So I feared man. I didn't want to have friends because I was afraid that they would judge me. Especially when I just moved here from the Philippines when I was 15. I was like eighth grade. I looked different. I sounded different. So I didn't. I feared, man. I didn't. I didn't want to make friends because I. I feared that they would judge me, or I feared that they would just befriend me to make fun of me and then ditch me for someone cooler. That's what I feared. Well, I wasn't a Christian. What could, what could you expect? Right? I didn't fear God. I feared man instead. But, but once the Lord saved me, you know, college and after, my view of friendship changed. Okay, I started viewing 
friendship as a relationship that is stronger than familial relationship. And I still think about it that way. Okay? Between me, a Christian, and another Christian, I view friendship that way. A, a stronger relationship than a familial, familial relationship. If you guys have a, a sibling who's not a Christian and you are, but you have a friend who's a Christian, guess what? That relationship is stronger than this one. Because this friend, you'll see forever. This one, maybe not, unless this person repents and believes. Okay? You have to start thinking about friendships that way, especially between Christians. It's stronger than familial relationship, and it lasts forever. Okay? Forever. Um, Listen to uh, Ecclesiastes 4. Just listen to what Solomon says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. He's talking about relationships, having a friend. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, his friend. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Proverbs 18.24 the friend, uh, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You guys know that I have a brother. He's two years older than me. I'm not sure where he's at spiritually. I hope he is a Christian, but I, I don't know yet. Um, we've, we've been brothers and friends for, you know, 37 years, 35 years. But guess what? I, I have friends who I'm closer with. And I've, been only, I've only been friends with them for two years or six years or ten years. Why is that? Because that, that is somehow for you know, in, in God's providence, it's, it's a stronger relationship. I can call this person my brother biologically, but I can call this person my brother spiritually speaking. Okay, there is a friend who sticks closer than the brother. That should squash the fear of man. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Okay, I have a friend, uh, I've been friends with him for a while. I don't see him often because he's an athlete, so he's always traveling. But when he's in town, he says, Roy, you know the, you know, you know the deal. You, you bring the word, I bring the food. So he says, wherever you want to eat, I'll take you. So, and I kind of, you know, not Chick-fil-A because I can't afford Chick-fil-A. Not like really expensive, you know, that wouldn't be kind. Kind of in the middle, Right? How about this? Yeah, yeah, well, well, I'll meet you there. And then he'll feed me as long, physically as long as I feed him spiritually. And he's like, man, you're always sharpening me. You're always sharpening me. It stinks that I'm always on the road, right? Um, but when I see you, it's always a sharpening time. And then... Jesus says this in John 15, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friend. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. Okay? The friends that I've made in my Christian life are one of the greatest gifts the Lord has ever given me. Okay, I have friends in Florida. I would text them and they would text me. Um, 
I have friends here, the leadership team of student ministries. Do you know why I'm picky about the leaders we add here? Because, because I know that they're going to be my friends. And I want to make sure that they speak into my life, and I want to make sure that they welcome me speaking into their life. Um, and every time we have leaders meeting, sometimes we don't, even, we don't even talk about you guys sometimes. Right? Because we just talk about our friendship. I know that when we have a, a, a solid friendship, I know that the leaders will, will, um, will trickle that down, will pass that down to the students. You know, when, when we meet, I'm like, oh, I guess we got to talk about camp, you know, like the schedule, you know, can I, can I just email the schedule to you guys? But can we just talk about how you guys are doing? Yeah, I'd rather do that. Okay. So I, I understand the fear of man, you know, that will, that will be a snare, a trap, Solomon says in Proverbs, um, for you uh, to prevent you from doing the right thing. The right thing is to develop the friendships that you guys have now and to make new ones and to make the center of those relationships Jesus Christ. Why would you do that? Because you are going to be related, okay, spiritually speaking, and, and as friends with that person for all eternity. So make new ones. Okay, develop the ones that you already have. Make Jesus Christ the center of that. And, um, and, and you'll be amazed. You know, you'll, you'll get to my age, 35. You know, I've had a lot of friends, some closer, some farther. Um, you, you would just be amazed how the Lord will use your friends. Okay, I know it's hard for you to think that far yet, but you need to. Your friends are going to be the ones standing next to you when you say, I do. Right? When you're, when, you're, when you're having your first child, you know, your friends are going to be there. <laughs> Ladies are like, ah. I mean, not, not okay, no, like after. <laughs> Unless she's like your doula or something. But, but after the baby is born, you know, your friends are going to be there because they love you and now they love your child. Okay? Remember, um, David had who? As a friend, Jonathan. I mean, you just read that, man, right? Uh, Paul, Paul. I was just reading this morning in, in the end of his letter to to uh, to Rome. You know, letter Romans sixteen. He names like thirty people, right? And then he writes Second Timothy before he dies. Is that he says this friend has left me, and this friend has gone into the world. He says, but you know what? I have Luke with me. Bring Mark with me. Right? Bring Mark with me. Bring, uh, make, sure, make sure that he brings the, the parchments, you know, scripture. If I have scripture and a friend like Mark, man, I, I don't care if I die tomorrow in prison, he says. So guys, value that. Okay, value your friends and make new ones. Make Christ the center and you just, you just stay back. And you'd be amazed how the Lord will use all that relationship. So, so hopefully that will squash fear of man. You know, oh, what are they going to think? You know, oh, I'm not like their other friend. Oh, I don't know if I can fit in. Forget all that garbage. It's all about Christ. Okay, and it's all about long-term relationships and influence. Okay? Uh, 
I got, I got to break the record, right? I'm at, I'm at eight. Here's number nine. I'll do this quickly. How does an adult child still honor their parents while living at home? Do they still need to obey the rules? Can an adult child 18 plus, hopefully not, 37. <laughs> Visiting, that's fine for vacation, but not living. Um, well, the second question is easy, okay? How, uh, do, do I still need to obey my parents' rules as an adult living with them? The answer is yes. Right? Even though I'm an adult, if I live in my parents' home, I'm under their authority, therefore I obey their rules. Okay? Here's my answer to the, to the other question. How does an adult still honor their parents while living at home? Here's my, my overarching answer. Be a blessing to your parents. Just find ways to bless your, bless your parents. Okay? And then when I thought through that, how, how would I practically show that? How can I practically bless my parents as I'm living with them? Either, either as a single adult, adult or maybe, maybe I went to college and now I'm back and I'm looking for a job and they said, hey, come live with us. Or, you know, we're transitioning, you know, we, we, you know the rent went up. So now me and my wife, you know, we have to find a home. But, but right now, you know, we're living with my parents. Any of those situations. Here's, here's, how, I would bless, here's how, how I would bless them. Number one, when I sin against them, what should I do? Seek their forgiveness. Should I make excuses? No. Oh, your rules, your rules are so hard. No, just if I sin against them, seek forgiveness. When they sin against me, what should I do? Forgive them. Okay? I need to speak well of them both in private and in public. Man, I am so glad that I'm living with my parents right now. They're helping us out. I love my parents, you know, it reminds me that I wasted my, my years with them when I was young. Now that I'm back with them, I just, I just love it. I love my parents. Kind of like that. Okay, here's another one. Seek their wisdom, even if you already have your own wisdom. I'm an adult, you know, I know how to, I, I know which car to buy. Well, sure, but to be a blessing to your parent, just ask. Ask your dad, hey dad, what would you do? Right? That would be an encouragement. Number five, help them around the house. That's pretty straightforward. Number six, ask them how you can be praying for them. All right, just ask your mom. Um, sometimes I text my dad, hey, how can I be praying for you? You know, that he lives in Florida. That's a blessing to him. And lastly, number seven, thank them regularly for everything and anything. Thank them regularly. Thank you for this shirt. Thank you for dinner. Thank you for paying for the fee so that I could play football and soccer. Thank you for giving me this wisdom. Thank you for asking me about, thank you for asking me that hard question about that boy who's denying me. Just thank them for everything. Okay, thank you for reading the Bible to me. Thank you for working hard. Thank you for taking us to church. I know we don't pick our church right now, but thank you for bringing us to that church. That's how you can be a blessing to your parents, as, as, as a young person living with them or as an adult. Okay? All right, that's, that's all I have. Nine questions. Great, great, great questions, guys. I, I love it. Thank you for uh, thinking through those questions and always... Always eager to um, look at those, those passages and how we can apply them.
Uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the Bible, your word. Yes, it doesn't always tell us do this, don't do that. But it gives us principles. It gives us wisdom. And if we trust it and if we apply it and we depend on you to do the work, we, um, we can expect great things. Thank you for these students. Thank you that they are honest with their questions. Thank you that they really want to know what you have to say. And thank you that they are teachable and that they pay attention. I pray that all these things um, would, just, would just help them as they grow. And thank you for pushing me and um, showing me all these things in your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.